0: Choose life, choose a job, choose a career in InfoSec, choose a vector, choose a certification, choose three big fucking monitors, choose 2080 Ti's, more RAM than you'll ever need and unapologetically obnoxious quantities of RGB lighting. Choose a VPS, choose a VPN, choose two fucking factor authentication, choose staying up until sunrise and wondering what day it is on a Saturday morning, choose SteelCon, DefCon, and sipping down questionable amounts of beer and energy juice with ex-colleagues and colleagues-to-be. Choose a company who wants you, and you them. Choose collaboration over isolation. Choose discussions over arguments. Choose conversations over conflict. Choose a career for the future, and start it today. Choose InfoSec. But why would they want to do a thing like that? Welcome to the first episode of OuijaCast. Uh, We are recording on the 29th of July 2019. My name is David and my name is Andy. Uh, Our hope is through the medium of podcasting to take you on a journey across the security landscape discussing anything and everything related to the, the diverse fields within. Uh, we will be attacking this from two vectors. Uh, we, uh, I will be the InfoSec rookie uh, who is proce- in the process of trying to break into the industry. And my friend Andy here, who is well established and respected already within the industry and who holds a wealth of experience and a story uh, that is likely to be very relatable uh, to a lot of the people listening that are starting their careers much like myself. Uh, Uh, We have a series of guests lined up for future episodes aiming to bring you views from experienced professionals who have been there and done it and uh, who would like to pass on some of their wisdom to new and current generations of internet security professionals and beginners. Um, Today's episode, however, uh, we are going to interview each other uh, just to give you an idea of who it is you're listening to during these podcasts. A bit about what makes us tick, and kind of where we are at in our careers currently. Uh, and it's also just to give us a bit of fucking practice uh, doing interviews. Um, yep. So, um, yeah, Andy, um, how are you doing today?
1: I'm pretty excellent. It's Monday. It's not fucking sunny as fuck today for once. It's,
0: it is it's nice. It's
1: been yeah. raining. It's still been humid, but it's been not too bad. But
0: this isn't the weather forecast. This is the Ouija cast. This is the Ouija cast. And what exactly is the Ouija cast? Andy, do tell. The Ouija
1: cast is an idea which is now, well, now, now coming to a product because we're recording the product. It is a cast of two guys talking about security uh, with a myriad of guests and other topics and just bringing it all together for the beautiful sound of the Scottish accent mm. at mm. 0.75% playback because we were being told we speak too fast.
0: Yeah, I think that's understandable as well, to be fair. Uh, We tried to do this in person uh, on Friday night. Uh, There was a couple of technical issues, but one of them was certainly uh, (laughs) when we were in person, we do tend to speak at about a thousand miles an hour and we can't expect anybody else to be able to hear that. Um, So, yeah, moving straight on to uh, the topic at hand. Um, First off, Andy, uh, can you give me an elevator pitch of what exactly InfoSec is to you?
1: So Infosec, or Infosecs, as auto type seems to do all the time, is essentially an industry of security professionals, people who are learning, people who have been in the industry for a while, trying to make the internet a safer place. As cheesy as the statement is, it's all about securing clients, securing products, securing assets, just making things more secure. What does that actually mean? Well, making things secure means so it can't be hacked by hackers and all that shit and all the, the media, skitty cunts and hoodies and all that jazz.
0: Yeah, Yeah. well, that's certainly something that you're seeing increasingly in the news. Uh, I know for myself, and I'm sure others will be much the same, uh, when your family knows that you know a little bit about internet security and they see something somewhat concerning in the news, you tend to be the first person that they go to. Um, certainly, I've had a lot of my family discussing the Cambridge Analytica um, documentary uh, that's uh, the Great Hack, which just came it out is. on Netflix, uh, and uh, I was getting a lot of interesting questions uh, from my parents, things that I uh, wasn't really expecting them to be talking about. Uh, and but it's good to see them having some real concerns about the whole issue.
1: So, what what sorts of topics were they asking you about? What sorts of kind of interesting questions? What, what would you deem as an interesting question you got out of it?
0: I, I, quite a number, to be honest, um, and mostly to do with uh, passwords and um, kind of password security, the strength of passwords. Uh, they were also really confused at general, uh, the big data side of things. Uh, and okay. exa- I think they're maybe starting to realize exactly what their value is. Uh, of their data is that a lot of these companies hold on them and certainly that's something I've not thought about a lot in my past and uh, I was born in a generation that's arguably had this since the very beginning so um, yeah, certainly good to see people of of their generations um, certainly talking a bit about more security. I've got my sister as well that's a similar age uh, and uh, yeah, she she was more active on how she can fix it right now so things like I've advised using last multi-factor authentication that sort of thing. Other
1: well. other password managers are available.
0: yeah uh, they are indeed. That's just the one I happen to use. Uh, th- thank you, Andy. Uh, we're not being paid by LastPass. Although if they do want to pay us some money, then <laughs> I am unemployed, so that would be good. Um, so on, on the on, on the on the topic though, you were saying about uh, data. So complete
1: on a bit of a tangent, but it'll be it'll be a quick tangent. There'll be many uh, ones. Your girlfriend and I were talking about the value of different substances on Earth, and while uh, we well, at the weekend for a drive, frequently go out driving. And uh, I was like, oh, I think diamonds are probably the most the most valuable asset on earth because, well, what's harder than a diamond? Nothing really. But then I saw a trail for this Cambridge Analytic thing. I was like, actually, no, data is probably a hell of a lot more valuable than diamonds because there's an infinite amount of it. And there's also varying, there's a varying pricing scheme of data. Anything from black market data to actual real life Facebook data, everything's, everything's got a cost in it. Alas, that's my...
0: Ta- that's my first tangent of the day. No, and it's an important one as well, though. Um, so I, on, on that exact regard, um, when it comes to the kind of what that is there, the, that Netflix uh, documentary, The Great Hack, is certainly kind of highlighted to my, as much myself, I'm already aware of this, but also, as I say, different different generations across my family that um, the, the, the data they've got can be used maliciously uh, and as, as far as I'm concerned that is being used maliciously by um Uh, a lot of political campaigns across the world uh, and uh, there seems to be a real effect and I think that can be seen just across the different elections that have happened worldwide recently. But yeah, as you say, that's our first tangent. We'll move on from that one. Might be a subject, I guess we'll come back to another day. Uh, But um, so back just onto the point at hand, um, why is it you think um, being a professional yourself in the industry, Andy, that people should care uh, about security? Uh, Why should they care more about it? Well,
1: Security as a ground-based topic is the fundamental of a lot of things we do nowadays. I mean, the, the previous topic topic just there, it, things documentaries like The Great Hack and other things will raise awareness for your general muggle, your Joe blogs of the situation who doesn't understand security. And why is it important? Well, without security, we wouldn't have things like bank payments. We would have things like online shopping. We wouldn't have the online world that we have today. Passwords, they are the fundamental underlying understanding of security that anyone should understand. So why do you have a password? Well, without a password, you only have a single factor to get into an account. You only have a single piece of details, like your email address, username, password, authentication. But security is such a wide landscape. It's not just authentication. You've got... Uh, thefts, you've got cybercrime, you've got mm. the bad things, the good things, the learning it, it, it's so diverse I mean, that, that's one thing we hope to cover in this podcast is all the maybe not everything but a, 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 ve- a very wide scope of all the things that security can encapsulate and getting the input from lots of different people will help to visualise the uh, the importance of
0: it. Yeah, visualising on an entirely 2D audio podcast. Um, I'm sure that'll do good for the viewers back home. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 they can they can try. Every, everyone has an imagination.
1: Whether you're on ACID or not, you've still got an imagination.
0: This is true. This is sage advice from uh, Andy here. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, what, what do you think it is that draws people uh, into the security industry in regards to working there? Um, so, obviously, I know the answer to this question myself, um, as I've literally just made the decision to start a career uh, uh in exactly that um, so but what is it yourself that 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 draws you in uh, and why you think others as well are drawn into the infosec
1: the infosec or security industry the draw for me personally is because i i've always enjoyed taking things apart i've always been, had that kind of hacker mindset of trying to get something to do something that it's not meant to do no. and a lot of people it's like you, you take you take the royal marines commando it's it's a it's a kind of thought process you might it's, you might already have it it's the same i mean if if you enjoy building computers or debugging things or helping people or looking at ways to do something differently there are there's more than uh, there's there's a very high chance you've probably got the hacker mindset and you don't even know it because the, the hacker mindset applies to not just computers it applies to people it applies to processes I and mean, you' it, it injects itself into Security, but going back, there is the question: What draws people to industry? Well, there's a few things. There's learning. There's financial gain. It's, it's a very lucrative industry. I'd say it's probably quite an interesting area of IT. I mean, it is IT under under the hood but, or under the bonnet, if you want to be proper about it. Um, but realistically, uh, I'd say it's just it's an expanding market, and it's like it's, you see it on the news every day. There's there's breaches every day. There's bad things, but. I'd say by joining the security community, you're joining a positive thing. As much drama as there is, it's also very enjoyable, I'd say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, to give some context as to some of my current experience, uh, me and Andy, um, Andy was actually kind enough to take me down to SteelCon. Um, Andy's been kind of mentoring me along the way, um, on uh, my first steps of learning um, how to get into this industry the tools that need to be used um, and uh, as I say he was kind enough to drive, to drive me down to SteelCon. Um, so SteelCon was really interesting and uh, much of an eye-opener for me um, I had the opportunity to network with uh, a lot of people in a very, very wide range uh, of different areas within the field and for somebody that's just starting, um, that's not really decided on exactly what it is uh, uh, within the industry I would like to do. I know roughly I'm looking at pen testing, but there's so many different areas to that. Uh, red team, blue team, purple teams. I'm thinking, learning about a new team pretty much every single day. Um, do you want to break that down for me a little bit, Andy? Um, just uh, what are the you know, there's a lot of phrases about different teams within yeah. uh, security, and uh, just tell me uh, a bit about each of those. So up until I mean the. There there is tech. Te- if
1: we're going super technical, there's about seven different teams in, in like the IT sector, but my understanding of three of them. So the, the kind of the red, blue, purple is the areas that I understand most, but I didn't realise that there's also an orange team, a green team and a yellow team. It's the whole fucking rainbow team. But there's also <laughs> the the white team and there's also the black team. And there's 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 so many different things that apply to different teams. But essentially the three that I understand is the red team, the blue team, the purple team. The red team is the kind of offensive security, looking at breaking in. Uh, the blue team is looking at defending, and the purple team is the kind of mediator between the two. Uh, the The phrases red team, blue team are actually they're not uh, infosec unique. They're, they come from a military standpoint. They come from testing a uh, well, testing the military um, kind of forefront of a country. So it's, it's pulled out. Of, I think it's the U.S. military that originally coined the phrases. Uh, they they brought them in to simulate attacks against certain nation state fronts. So, uh, a key one and quite a kind of iconic one is uh, it was in a film I was watching. I Can't remember what the film was called, but they were talking about simulating an attack on New York and the red team were were essentially simulating a foreign threat. The blue team were the army, and they were looking at the different ways in which a foreign threat could close down New York as a city. Uh, so they're looking at the uh, critical naf- national infrastructure uh, all, the, all the different ways into like cutting off the food supply, all that sort of stuff and the blue team were looking at how do we defend that, how do we measure response, and that kind of methodology was torn out of the military standpoint and injected into security, so the blue team typically will be the instant response team, so they're looking at when shit hits the fan near network, who do you call? Well obviously you call Ghostbusters but obviously. that's
0: beside the yeah. point. It yeah. a bit silly, that's,
1: but Re- realistically, the instant response team come in. They try to kind of coordinate how to sort an issue, how to contain it. So if it's a malware outbreak, if it's uh, phishing, if you've got other malicious things happening in your network, the instant response team are kind of first to the first to the scene. Then the other side of blue team, you've you always or I've heard it quite a lot. You've got kind of post post breach, pre breach, and during breach. So during breach, you've got instant response. Post breach, you've got forensics, and then pre breach, you've got things like red teaming, things like the offensive side of security, which is pen testing. Pen testing is a preventative measure. It's not going to save you during the breach. Uh, it might give you a bit of an insight after a breach because you can go through with a red-blue, which is where purple comes in, and look at the ways in which an attacker, if, if I if I own your network or if I'm on your network, where am I going next? And if I can work through that with a blue team, essentially you are a mediator so you're a purple team at that stage that's a very high level understanding of it, different companies will have different views on it, different people will have different views on it, I think a lot of the guests that we'll have in the future will also have very different views on it but the the kind of rough, rough overview is blue defend red attack, purple kind of referees as it were
0: uh, yeah that, and I can see why that would be important. Um, obviously the, in the, the real world there wouldn't be much, any real communication unless it was social engineered between the Reds uh, and the Blues but um, if you're trying to get the most out of a test, I guess there's going to have to be some layer of communication uh, kind of between the two of them um, just to make sure everything gets thoroughly tested. Um, so um, so basically I just want to move on Just a, a little bit on to A bit about yourself Andy um, So um, rather than um, Me properly introducing yourself um, You're quite capable of doing that And um, I always, obviously already know your story is, uh, just to give us some background as to me, how me and Andy know each other. Um,
1: well, I'm, I'm Wolverine, so I mean, that's the... Yeah, you're not <laughs> Oh, Wolverine. shit, you haven't asked the question. No, we, Damn
0: we've, it. <laughs> we've discussed this a number of times, Andy. Like, you're not Wolverine. But, uh, uh, you've got the massive hands, but... Like, <laughs> about, about just it. no class. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, basically, uh, me and Andy met uh, through a friend uh, a couple of years ago, um, having... Oddly enough, a much similar conversation to the one that we're currently having over this microphone. And it was, um, we started, I started discussing, because I knew Andy had a cool job. Like, I wasn't quite sure what that job was. I knew it involved computers and I knew it involved some level of hacking. So I was already in. Uh, but um, as I started having some questions about how I would get into the industry and kind of follow the same trajectory that, um, you have done yourself. And uh, but um, and then from there, obviously that spawned out into what we'll discuss in a moment, which has been blogs and books, uh, which is fantastic. Um, so how did you start off in your career, Andy? Like, where was it you got started? Um, what's your origin so, story? My origin story is in Wolverine. We've been through this.
1: But alas, my real origin story in security, or just in, in, in hacking in general, is I've always sort of been interested in taking things apart. As I discussed in the kind of intro, like hacking is the the mindset of taking things apart. So, my introduction to that was getting a desktop PC, taking it apart, and actually not knowing how to put it back together again. At that point, Google wasn't really a thing. I mean, Google's been around for a while, but it wasn't the go-to. It wasn't the go-to for answers. I had to use Ask Jeeves instead. Uh, ask Jeeves. That's going back a bit. Did you use that early. on
0: Netscape or?
1: I think I used it on a Net Explorer. To be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't as retro cool as Netscape. Uh, no, uh, what an experience! But alas, exactly. Ask G's was the best though. Like, and then I think it still exists. But anyway, uh, I got into finding how to troubleshoot putting this PC back together, and fast forward a bit of time, I got involved in troubleshooting things more, involved in uh, helping with PC repairs. I became the kind of go-to guy in the family, the street, the neighbourhood, to, to fix things. Uh, I started a small company did computer repair moved into data recovery uh, helped uh, at my, then I started working in a computer shop uh, in the computer shop I got, I got really interested in the security side of things so how to bypass things how to uh, crack passwords that sort of stuff which led me into um, looking at different ways of getting into this industry because I, I didn't really understand what security was at that point my understanding at that point in time was well I'm bypassing passwords yeah fuck it it's not amazing but it's certainly, an interest. There's different ways of doing it. You can boot from USB into something like off-crack or Kali Linux. It was Backtrack 5 back then. Kali wasn't really a thing, actually, it wasn't a thing at all. But Backtrack 4, Backtrack 5, uh, which are hacking operating systems or pen testing-oriented operating systems. Uh, and I was using them to, to bypass things. And uh, that kind of at the same time, while I was working at a computer shop, I was also at uh, college doing a degree, not a degree, a course in computer networking. Mm-hmm. And that also touched on security. That was also talking about different things that you can do uh, to secure a network. So looking at uh, securing your routers, your switches, passwords, that sort of stuff. And that led me to look at possibly pursuing it at a university. Uh, so uh, I've skipped forward about five years here. So mm-hmm. I'll, go back, I'll go back a bit to when I was at school. So in secondary school, uh, which in, in Scotland and in the UK is kind of from the age of like 12 through to about 18 Maybe 13 to 18. Anyways, it's around about six years of your teenage life. Uh, and when I was at school, I was really not mischievous. It's probably a no. Yeah, I was mischievous. I was a little cunt basically. Uh,
0: and the first I. The C bomb of the show.
1: Fantastic. I know it's just straight, straight in. Straight in. No nope, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but essentially, I got into trouble in first and second year for hacking or what they deemed hacking into IT. Uh, There was a preventative firewall in place that stopped you from accessing things like Newgrounds and Miniclip going back a bit here. (laughs) Flash flash based games essentially. And I found that it was possible to bypass this software so I locked out the head of IT's computer. I may or may not have accessed it with the default admin password of admin admin. Can neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) Don't at me. and as a result, I mean, I got access to these things and people started to kind of be like, oh, Andy knows how to do this stuff. Then you fast forward a bit further and, and things like YouTube were coming into more prevalence so around about 2008, 2009. Uh, and accessing YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all that sort of stuff in school was like, oh, it's prohibited because it's blocked by firewalls, blocked by proxying." So I spent most of my time looking at how to bypass these things. And that's what got me into the mindset of hacking things. I wasn't part of an anonymous collective or any of that shit, but uh, that that was my kind of deep dive into it. So when I got to picking my university courses at school, uh, my guidance teacher said, well, you should maybe look at this security thing because apparently it's going to be, or it's it's slowly becoming quite a big industry. And lo and behold, 10, 15 years later, maybe not, no, I'm not 30, uh, mm-hmm. ten, 10 years I later <laughs> scary scary.
0: <laughs>
1: 10 years later and sure enough it's It's a booming industry and it's only going to keep growing but I, 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 get, I applied for university that was all hunky dory I got to 5th and 6th year fucked up all my subjects, failed everything card games were more interesting to me in 5th and 6th year than getting into uni which was probably not the best idea but alas, used to used to skip school I used to dog it, but that's not that's a different phrase in England, it's not what you think it is. It, do, dogging it in school was skipping school, it's not like banging behind the shed, that's a completely different thing, yeah. Entirely.
0: Yeah, you keep trying to tell them that, <laughs> <laughs> we know what you're up to, you big dirty. Uh, so, yeah, so it went through a very similar story to myself there, uh, in regards to not doing particularly well at school. Um, so I think I came out with what was. For us, a uh, uh, higher D, uh, which is still a fail, but they like to let you know that you've failed rather than just not put anything at all on the sheet, which they at did for the you rest tried. of my tried.
1: They go, at least you tried. You get, you, get, you get a gold star for trying, a D for destruction of fuck all. I managed to draw
0: an isometric smiley face of really good quality in a graphic drawing exam. Uh, they still nice. failed me, but... I was damn proud of that face, that was good uh, I wish I'd gotten a photo of that um, so uh, much like uh, Andy here as well um, as I say I've, I didn't do particularly well with my exams but that wasn't really the end of my education um, I ended up uh, going to college and doing an entry level in um, sound production so I'm very musically orientated, always have been so uh, I went and did that um, from um the Entry level course into what we call an HNC and HND, which effectively in Scotland is the first and second year of university. Um, and there. A higher national certificate and a higher national diploma. Thank you. Yeah, diploma. Thank you, Dictionary Andy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and. Um, I, I did fail one year of college when I didn't take it seriously enough. Uh, but uh, after failing that year and realised that that was a life year of my life wasted, um, I redoubled my efforts. I really sunk myself into the education and trying to embrace it fully. Uh, ended up walking out of with an honours first class uh, degree and audio technology um, in the end so uh, I don't think that's uh, something that a lot of people would have been able to say uh, at school that they'd have assumed that I would go on and do. Uh, the reason that I bring it up isn't uh, some kind of humble brag it's more that I know that there's a lot of similar people in similar positions that are maybe leaving school thinking that they're not actually able to learn complex subjects uh, further than what they've already learned and that's because they've failed a lot of exams. But I'm sure you'll agree with me that that certainly isn't the case. And in regards to internet security, uh, there's a number of different vectors for getting in.
1: Yeah, there's lots of different paths into it. Um, also, you'll find a lot of people who are in this industry, I mean, it's a very mixed bag. You'll get people who are very academic and very good at exams, and then you'll get other people like ourselves who maybe don't test so well under exam conditions and therefore aren't you kind know, of given the same mindset. And maybe not mindset... Maybe it's not opportunity either, but the same sort of experience, as it were. A lot of people aren't academic, therefore they they feel like they failed the first hurdles. Mm. So they don't pass the exams, uh, they don't get into the courses. But as a lot of people will attest, university and the academic route isn't the only way in. There's actually many ways in, and a lot of people that I work with and a lot of people that I know never went to university. They left school at sixteen and they went and did things and. And, and spoke to people and are, are now very successful because they've they've picked their own path and i think that is the beauty of this kind of area this industry there's so much freely available because we were talking about this on friday i think this is probably the only industry that i can think of where people release so much information for free like there's so many free resources you wouldn't really get that in finance you wouldn't be like oh this is how to do trades this is how fucking. How, how you can make millions. I mean, you've got the courses how to make millions online, but they're not really legit. Whereas you've got things in this industry where people go, actually, this is how you do this particular subject. This is how you do firewall analysis, or this is how you do port scanning, or network analysis, or web app testing, or red teaming, or blue teaming, or purple teaming, or black teaming. Everything. I mean, there, there are tutorials as long as you're arm and then some that, for just about any topic, but Alas, I, I, div- I, uh, thingy. Tangent.
0: <laughs> no, not at all. That, that, that's some really important stuff. And it's very, very true as well. Uh, the, especially for me, just kind of getting into the, uh, trying to get into the industry and having to try and pull together a lot of different resources to try and fast-track my way uh, to a job. And a big part of that has been um, the amount of great content that's been on YouTube. Um, so... I, I certainly don't think learning alone from YouTube is the best idea. There's a, a level of abstraction that comes from watching somebody else use something on a video uh, than actually typing in the stuff yourself, and that's certainly how I learn. I won't say that everybody's going to be the same, but um, using these YouTube videos from people like Nullbyte, um, a computer file, um, they give you a really good, solid starting ground for allowing you to understand some of the language that's used, maybe, right? and then you can start picking up the absolute seas worth of um, blog posts, much like yourself and with your blog you've got online as well, the 101 blog and others, um, that take you from the very beginning of how to use a tool, something that maybe seems really complex, and by the end of it and a couple of, sometimes only five lines later of terminal code, Uh, you're away and off using this fantastic tool uh, one of many that you're able to use throughout your career Um, if you want to tell us a little bit about your blog as well Andy I know that it's helped me a lot and we've got a bit of a story behind that Um, in the beginning
1: in the beginning (laughs) yeah I mean uh, my blog initially started you're probably not 100% the reason for it but you're probably quite high up there Dave is the reason that I started part of my blog is the reason I started my one-on-one series, because initially we had a conversation, we'd been bowling one night in Glasgow, uh, with 10, 10 pin bowling, not bowls, we're not old cunts. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: There's time.
1: <laughs> there, There is still time, there are people out there that play bowls, but alas, I, I, uh, I, I, I can't remember the word. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> we were talking about stuff, and uh, we got talking about security, and you were asking about different... Things And I was like, all right, okay, I'll, I'll go and write a blog post about this and I think I, I think the first thing I picked up was like how low-level operating systems or something worked and it, it slowly, I, I put that out and it got a few reads and uh, you, you started reading them and then you started asking more questions, which is great. Asking questions is how content gets created, it's how ideas become reality and all the other things in between. But I ended up writing 10 or 15 blog posts um, and then they started to gain traction. I then put out to uh, start putting out tutorials on top of blog posts. So, like my 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 blog posts were around core subjects that I knew about and I wanted to explain them to others. Then I started putting out tutorials of how to do things, so how to exploit certain bug classes in web application security. So, looking at things like cross-site scripting, which is a a uh, vulnerability in the way that a web browser renders JavaScript uh, or HTML, or you have other other ways of injecting. But that's a very high level. So I did some tutorials t- on that, and at one point my blog was averaging at a hundred thousand hits a month, which is a lot of people. Like that's mm. it's an unfathomable amount of people that I, I never knew would be possible, and that kind of prompted my uh, my social media presence, so my Twitter presence. I think at this time i was running about with about 900 followers so it wasn't a lot i mean it's that that is a lot in the grand scheme of things but i look back now and it's 10% of my current following mm-hmm. humble brag almost 10000 followers terrifying <laughs> but uh, uh, people were giving me uh, well, people were giving me shit like oh why are you explain really basic topics this is a waste of fucking time blah 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 like there's always going to be trolls out there but there were a lot of people who were also saying why don't you make this into a book why don't you start writing a book because Blog posts are all fine and well, but I'd quite like it, so I'm speaking about speaking as someone who asked me this question, I'd quite like it to have a portable aspect, because I don't want to have to download your whole blog, take it with me everywhere, I want to have it in one place. So, uh, a mate of mine, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, so I'm going to absolutely destroy it, I think it's Pete Yaroski, sorry Pete, it's a, <laughs> he's, he's a Canadian guy, he's got a Russian, Russian last name, but... He wrote a book about web hacking 101, which was about different bug classes and lots of bits and pieces. And he said, Why don't you write an ebook? Because you can publish it on this website for free, uh, you can charge a bit of money for it, they, they, they give you a bit of the royalties. Uh, sorry, they think they about the royalties, they give you the most of them, and it's better than things like Amazon. So I thought, Yeah, fuck it, it'll be a good laugh. So I took all of the blog posts that I'd written up until that point, which were about 10 or 15. Uh, I amalgamated them into a rough idea of chapters. I've actually got a book here. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll read out the chapter headings because I've got a, got a book to hand. But I basically took uh, core fundamentals. So looking at kind of networking, uh, numbers, operating system, visualization. Sorry, not visualization, virtualization, programming, infrastructure, web application security, the importance of reporting. Social and people skills, and then looking at just general other bits and pieces. So, looking at pen testing versus bug bounty hunting, uh, how to progress your career, and then kind of f- future resources. So, I started to build that out over two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent kind of my aim was to write. Uh, my, originally, I wanted to complete it instead of six months, but realistically, with my day job, that wasn't going to happen. So, I, I spent about 18 months writing it. And then, then finally, in May of 2016, I published it. Published it as an ebook, and it was downloaded eleven times. And I said to myself at the time, "If this gets downloaded twice, I'll be happy." Mm-hmm. And it, it, it slowly gained traction. Uh, with by about December, it'd been downloaded about three hundred times, um, which was crazy because I was like, "Wow, that's three hundred people who have downloaded my stuff." And they started reading it. I was getting feedback from people. Um, me being a dyslexic, I can't read very well, so I didn't bother to proofread it. Probably the worst idea possible, mm-hmm. but alas. And I got a lot of feedback with, this page has got this misspelling, this is the wrong word here. And it was really useful because as a community, uh, a lot of people were reaching out to help me and make it more, uh, improve it. And the beauty of the platform that I published on was that I could go in and edit it and push it an update. Anyone who had downloaded it would get an updated copy, to their email address, which is phenomenal because I couldn't think of anything that did that before. There are probably platforms out there that out there that do that. but I wasn't aware of. That it that certainly hasn't
0: much real books. Uh, once that's out yeah, and pu- yeah. published, then that, that's out there, and no real way of yeah. pushing out an update unless you want to send them a brand new copy of that full book. Exactly. I mean that 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 uh, that segues
1: nicely into the actual physical copies of things. So when the downloads got to round about, I think it was a thousand or maybe 1,500. So it was getting to pretty big numbers. Uh, people started asking, "Oh, where can I buy this? Can I buy it on Amazon?" I'm like, "No, no, no! It's only on this ebook." And like, "No, no, no! I want a physical copy of this." And I'm like, "Oh shit, right? Uh, I, I, don't know. I don't know how to do this." So I started looking for printing companies, not publishers, but printing companies. And I came across a company called Docs Direct, uh, who are a UK-based company that do printing. So they will print like dissertations and that sort of stuff. But I, I sent them an email and I said, right, I've, I've published an ebook and it's about 70 pages long and I want to make it into a book. How much would it cost to do that? And they went, well, I mean, it'll be like £30 per copy. And I was like, oh, that's really expensive. I went, what if, because that was going to be like, uh, the, the font the font size was going to be like normal, normal book size. So it was going to end up being a really thick paperback book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, no, no, all no, right, okay. If I shorten, if I make the, the text size like nine or ten, or really small, how and like an A five size book, how how much would it cost me? Like, oh, it would be like maybe like eight pounds or something. So I was like, all right, cool. So I got five copies made because just because I wanted to see how it was, of course, because yeah. a couple of people had asked me. And I I, I put in the order, and they arrived, and uh, I got I got my my five original copies. And I brought them along to my local coffee shop, a drink at a coffee shop around the corner. I showed them to the guys that I have coffee with. And they went, these are amazing. Get more printed because they will sell out. And I still remember what Sam said to me when the guys I have coffee with. He went, this will sell hundreds of copies guaranteed because it's the right size. It fits in your pocket. It fits in your bag. Little did I know, fast forward two years, it's been downloaded 7,000 times. Sorry, it's been downloaded 9,000 times. 7,000 of which have been free downloads and 2,000 of which have been paid for. Uh, and it's there's about 1,000 physical copies floating about. So there's a total of 10,000 copies of my words in the world. And I've also posted to every single continent around the world, which is terrifying. Like, they, there is a book of mine in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Some polar bear bought my book. Well, it wasn't a polar bear. Some guy bought my book who was in Antarctica and wanted me to post it there. So that's cool. That's actually, like... I don't think many people can say that, one, they've written a book, two, it's sold over 10,000 copies, three, it's been posted to every continent around the world, four, it's now the reference point for a lot of people getting into security, and five, done by a
0: ginger Scotsman who lives in Glasgow. drinks obscene amounts of iron brew, yeah, which yeah. accounts for the ginger, uh, to be fair. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of stuff in there, and um, uh, the, the big one that certainly is interested me a lot... Um, is the scale, or sorry, how widespread this book has become uh, across the security landscape across the entire world. But that speaks probably a lot about the universal language of internet security. Um, And it really does seem to be a job that can take you across the world and have you interacting with different people across the world. Uh, At SteelCon, I was talking to people that work from... All across the UK, Uh, a lot of the time they work for American companies um, who are uh, hiring them remotely, they're also flying them out. Uh, That was the same for countries all across Europe. And um, certainly I I think that's a fantastic uh, thing to have there to be able to do, uh, to be able to explore the world while still managing to maintain a career. Um, so but it's, it's the
1: beauty of the, the dawn of the internet it's the mm-hmm. inter- internet age where a lot of jobs now are starting to become work from home or work from wherever you want because as long as you've got an internet connection, as long as you can access whatever services you're using for your job, you can do your job from anywhere. Yeah
0: and that's certainly fantastic and just on that basis actually uh, I think one really good question for a lot of people like myself that are listening that don't already know what you do um, could you tell me a little bit about your work life, um, both and what kind of jobs that you'll do day to day, and um, and where you where you do that from.
1: Yeah, so essentially, I hack shit and I br- break shit and write reports. That is the high level description of what this <laughs> job. What that actually means is, I find security flaws with clients, collectively clients, things. So th- more descriptively, I do security testing. I've heard of it referred to as security QA testing quality assurance. And to an extent, pen testing is QA. It's quite a controversial topic right now, but alas. that's a Topic for another, uh, I was going to say video, another podcast. Uh, but yeah, re- re- really all, what, what I do is I find security flaws and I tell clients how to fix them. I do that from my house. I do that from client site. I do that from different areas around the world. just depends on what the job is and what is involved. Uh, a kind of typical day in the life of me uh, will consist of well, we're on Monday today, so this is a prime example. Uh, so this morning, I uh, woke up around about half about nine, half nine, got out of bed, the, took the very long commute of ten meters from my bed to my desk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably a very nice commute for a lot of people. Currently, for me, uh, well, on, Fre- on Friday for me, it was a, a commute through my hall, which is which was an assault course, but now is a little bit tidier. So. Uh, it was a straight, straight walk through, sat down at my desk, checked emails um, and looked at uh, kind of testing an application. So the process of testing an application for me typically will be you have the URL, so the domain the, the name or the, the link, uh, you load it up in a browser, uh, you have credentials, so username and passwords um, and you have an intercept proxy. So in my case, I use something called Burp Suite, which is a intercepting proxy that you can use to interact with the application. So you send a request to the application, trap it in burp, and you can start to manipulate it. So you can change uh, the content length or the uh, method that's used to get it. So you've got, typically speaking, you've got a GET request, which is, I want you to give me stuff. And you've got a POST request that is, I'm going to give you stuff. So a POST request typically will be on login. So you log in, you, you post your username and your password. And if it's a if it's a relatively secure application, it'll have a cross-site request forgery token as well, which is a unique value that gets sent every time to prevent uh, kind of forging requests. But that but I mean we can talk about web app security till the cows come home. There's there's so much so much in it. But essentially, what I will do is I'll I'll look at an application. So i uh, typically on the first day I'll click around it, use it like a typical user would. Uh, I'll note down any functions that are potentially interesting, things like file upload. Uh, places where I can input content that's reflected back to me, uh, anywhere that looks like it might go away and talk to a database or anywhere that maybe does stuff that is abnormal. Things like server-side functionality, so uh, the, what the, the app I'm testing this week, there is a functionality where you can uh, you, you can feed it a link and it will go and test if that link is live. Uh, so the, the application is for, um, it's like a forum, so you, it goes away and tests the link live. Um, so th- there are potential bugs there that it might take arbitrary URLs or it might take arbitrary values and there's other ways of explaining that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, th- th- there's a lot. But th- that my, my day consists of that and then I w- while I'm doing that, I'll be writing up part of the reports. I was reporting today as well. So I was writing a report from previous engagement from last week uh, and doing doing all that fun stuff. Yeah. But yeah, tip- typically speaking, I'll be doing either testing or reporting or sometimes consulting as well. So maybe be on client site. For example, last week I was on site in Dublin, uh, and it was fucking really warm. But that's nothing to do with the job. It's
0: just to do with the global warming nonsense. Yeah, just a general statement. And uh, what is it you what what differs when you're on site? What you do do at home? and uh, is that a different set of different set of jobs, the responsibilities that you have, or is it to have more of a communication with the people who work there?
1: It does vary. I mean, typically speaking, an on-site job. Will usually consist of an internal infrastructure assessment. So, what that means for people who don't know is internal infrastructure is looking at testing the network, a client's network, the way in which their computers talk to each other. Uh, I, usually, you can't do that from your house. You can sometimes, where you either have a VPN connection, so you get a connection where you're directly in their network, or you ship them a box that they plug in, not a cardboard box like a computer, sorry, a machine. You ship them a computer, they plug it in, and it connects back to you. Uh, But, yeah, on-site is usually accessing things you can't access remotely, uh, or it's looking at testing uh, specific types of systems that might not necessarily want to be internet-facing, things like industrial control systems, things like security systems that are bespoke, or just general intellectual stuff, Uh, so trading floors, that sort of stuff. Uh, But you've also got uh, social engineering, uh, something that I don't do much of, uh, but a lot of my colleagues do. So you're looking at testing the people skills. You can do that remotely as well. Uh, but on site is looking at can I get past the security controls? Can I walk into this building? Can I do this? Can I do that? I mean, it, it, it's so diverse. But also, the, what you said in your opening statement there was uh, is, it, is it a different kind of process? Uh, yeah, it is. It, um, it's, it brings in a human factor that you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. I mean, when you're working from home, you have emails, you have calls, you have that sort of stuff. But when you've got the person-to-person interaction, a lot of clients like that because they feel like they're actually speaking to a human rather than
0: a faceless entity. That's understandable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the the physical side certainly really interesting. Uh, again, uh, and I do keep referring to SteelCon, but uh, it was one so enlightening to myself because I was speaking to people from all these different areas that you've just mentioned. Uh, and um, two because it is really the first interaction I've had with this community and uh, some of the most interesting stories I heard were some of the ones from the the social engineering and uh, physical pen testing sides um, just some of the techniques that can be used to try and get past a security turnstile for example um, ranging from uh, just jumping straight over it and hoping there's no one on the other side to uh, somebody pretending to throw up outside allowing uh, <laughs> the security guard to leave, just allow them to breathe straight in and get to a server room um, Have you got any uh, interesting stories in that regard that, uh, that- you'd like to pass on uh, just at this moment in time? Uh, Anything particularly funny?
1: Uh, I mean not on a job that I was involved with but a story that one of my mates has told me before, uh, one of my mates who does social engineering. Uh, So him and another one of my mates were doing a physical engagement against quite a secure uh, or what you'd classify as a pretty secure site and they essentially got in by one of the guys walking in uh, so they were they were, uh, they had the discussion in the pub the night before they, they, they had they had authorization to do this I should clarify it wasn't just like right we're going to fucking break into building YOLO uh, they, they, they had the discussion that they were going to walk in uh, person A was going to speak to the receptionist person B was going to try and walk through the gate what actually happened was person A was hung over to shit and person B was like fuck it this is going to be a laugh so person A goes to speak to the receptionist while person B runs head on at the gate and vaults it while the security guard goes, "What the fuck is going on here?" and is like really confused because some guys just launched himself over a gate. So, takes the security guard runs after said person B, while person A goes and walks through the gate mm-hmm. and then plugs into the network. So, that is Mission one way of doing.
0: Yeah, like pr- proper oceans eleven. Fuck it, it'll be a laugh scenario. Yeah, 100%. Like that, that just reflects one of many, many stories that I was hearing at SteelCon from different people from different walks of life and, like, they've all got their part to play uh, because when it comes to social engineering, um, anything that makes us different can be used and leveraged to um, get us into secure areas, yeah, be that your ability to speak to people or, um, just just your knowledge of how a lot of these businesses operate uh, there are so many interesting stories um, so uh, that kind of I guess kind of covers some of the work that you do uh, but um, just quickly uh, before we move on to a couple of different things before the end of, the end of this what will be likely a very long episode uh, that's okay outside of work then um, so obviously it sounds like to a lot of different people, InfoSec and Internet Security and just this general field uh, is people's primary hobby. Uh, and certainly I can see why you have to stay on top of this stuff a lot. There's a lot of diverse areas and there's always something to learn. Uh, but how is it you, Dietrin, uh being that you work from home, so you're indoors quite a yeah. lot. Uh, how do you get away from it all?
1: So typically speaking, I mean, that. Uh, We discussed this on Friday, but it's worth mentioning that a lot of people in this industry are very introverted, but I find myself quite extroverted. So I find myself quite social. So how do I extract myself from situations? Well, on a a daily basis, when I work from home, I try to spend my lunch hour outside, around at my local coffee shop, uh, speak to, uh, I suppose, a bunch of older folks who have got different backgrounds. Uh, So the table that I sit at is made up of uh, a guy who's an artist, uh, a guy who's an ex uh, military, uh, a guy who's an ex lawyer, uh, and a couple of girls who are, um, well, they've got a, a marad of different um, experiences. But I, I try and remove myself from IT and, and sit down at this table, enjoy coffee, and uh, yeah, that, that's what I do every day to get my fresh air. But that table gives me a lot of insight into the rest of the world. Like We discuss things, everything from politics through to the way the world is ending. Uh, it's quite, I suppose, morbid, but also really interesting things like the future of technology, the future of society, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, that, that's that's how I spend my hour a day. But outside of work, uh, so post 5pm, the weekends, I do a lot of driving. Uh, anyone who follows me on Twitter will know that I am quite a big petrolhead. I do like my cars. Uh, I have a blue Focus RS. Uh, It makes very loud noises and goes fast sometimes. Always at the speed limit, though. Always. always, And
0: it's beautiful. A beautiful vehicle.
1: It's it's good fun. But I I spend my time driving around Scotland a lot. I've done about 20,000 miles in a year, uh, which is, I mean, for anyone who's outside of the UK, the UK is a relatively small country. I'd say if you compare it to the US, for example, I think the UK makes up smaller than a state. So a journey in an evening for me could be 300 miles, which is a lot of people to, it's, it's a lot to people people in the UK, but in, in the States they'd be like, 300 miles, no problem, try 3,000. <laughs> yes, pr- pretty much. But yes, yeah, so I, I spend my time driving, but I also spend my time doing uh, karate. So I, I'm, I, I'm not only a, a keyboard warrior, I'm actually a real life fucking ninja. Uh, <laughs> so
0: I will not only break your computers, I'll break your legs as well. Hey, it's a package deal. Like, it, yeah, <laughs> package holding That's fantastic. And yeah, the the martial arts side of things I actually spoke to quite a few people uh, that seem to do the, the, this kind of work role and also do martial arts. And um, certainly, I've done a little bit myself in the past. Um, did some uh, ninjutsu, nin, ninjutsu. 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 Can't even pronounce the name, and yeah, and the, the, a lot of the things that it, I took away from that was nothing to do with the, uh, knocking lumps out of each other or grappling around the ground, and uh, a lot the more kind of it was the more traditional stuff like uh, thought process and being in the moment and uh, the meditation side of things as well that actually really shouted out to me, and that to this day is probably the biggest takeaway from all of it um, in the sense of allows me to get a sense of focus that I might not have had, um, had I not done that training. Is that something that you find as well? Is there any kind of crossovers or takeaways from martial arts into the kind of work you do day to day?
1: Yeah, I'd say to an extent. I mean, the, the uh, Zen that you're describing, the kind of meditation side in karate or in Japanese is called Zanshin. Mm-hmm. It is the, the the feeling of kind of being well, one with yourself, one with an art Martial arts is the art of war. Uh, re- realistically, I mean, the wars that we fight nowadays aren't fought with our fists. They're fought with guns and weapons and shit, or, or it's actually fought in line. You've got your cyber wars and stuff. But going off on a tangent, they are coming back in. The martial arts background does feed in. The mindset feeds in. I, I have contemplated a, a conference talk for ages about the uh, crossover between martial arts and hacking. Jab cross hack is the title I'd like to, to discuss. Is the mindset that we where you are in on the mats and you are sparring with an opponent is the same way in which you're attacking, or it's the same mindset in which you're attacking a network. Your, your techniques that you use your punch, your kick, your block, your all different things is the same applicable skill set that you'd apply to hacking. You're sending your port scanning, you're sending your exploits in, your defenders coming in, they're trying to prevent that sort of stuff. It's the same sort of thing. I might be talking complete shite here, but
0: that's what I think. No, I certainly, as I say, that's precisely why I brought it up. Well, I think there's a lot of crossover skills that you can take from one into the other. I'm sure there's a lot of those skills that you could take into physical engagements as well that we're talking about, uh, in the sense of being able to keep calm in the moment uh, and under pressure, uh, and also if and if shit ever pops off. Um, yeah, I'm sure you can give someone a roundhouse kick. I'm sure that's always a handy skill to have in the back pocket. Uh, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it'd be in scope, though, for an engagement. I wouldn't go around <laughs> kicking cunts in the head. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're just in the wrong Pizza job. Maybe, maybe there's one out there for you. <laughs> um, so um, just, I guess, now, now we've talked about your beginning, uh, the middle, um, and obviously we won't be talking about the end yet. You're still very much... I guess, at the start of your career, much the same as mine, if we're talking in the sense of 10, 20, 30 years or longer. Um, Definitely. So what would your plans be over the kind of next 10 years, 20 years? Where can you see yourself in the future from where you're currently at just now?
1: Dead. No. Jeez. Uh, Are we putting
0: that out live? Yeah, yeah, we are. No, I wouldn't
1: say dead, but I mean, yeah, sort of dead. Maybe. maybe. Maybe not, maybe not 20 years' time, yeah, maybe, maybe 60 years' time.
0: Crossed. Touch anyone, Don't touch my head. Ooh,
1: lovely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: not safe for work.
1: <laughs> in your end, though. Anyway, uh, where do I see myself in 10, 15, 20 years? Uh, I think I see myself doing similar stuff to what I'm doing right now. Uh, I'd, I'd like to, I mean, that that is assuming that technology is still a thing and we're not taken over by Skynet. Or nuclear uh,
0: radiation, which, or famine, uh, or another yeah, two potentials or,
1: or that mentalist over in the states doesn't start World War Three.
0: What, what do you mean I'm, hey, We have one here now as well.
1: Oh yeah, from
0: politics. No, this isn't yeah, politics now. We'll this is that.
1: politics. Anyway, yeah, but uh, I think I see. Uh, what I'd love to do, ideally, in the future, is do my own thing. I'd love to work for myself. I'd love to uh, maybe. Five years down the line, or maybe 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 even sooner. Who knows? Go and do something. Help people. What what I really want to do. The kind of key values that I I would love to do with my future is start people's careers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that I already sort of do that with the blog and the.
0: the yeah, you uh, certainly do. Like that's not even an argument. Uh, at the moment, you've had enough people that I know we've discussed the uh, off-air uh, that have came up to you and said that your book's been very helpful for them getting into the industry. That they wouldn't have got into it without you. And certainly, that uh, that's certainly the way it's going for me. It's uh, and it's the way it's been. You've been for years, so far as I know uh, since. It was about three years ago, maybe, you started off writing your, your blogs. Like, and obviously, uh, there's a reason why there's so much viewership and unique people passing through your website. It's because it does help. Um, so I can appreciate that. Uh, yeah. And certainly something uh, that's kind of close to my heart as well. I've done a lot of education, kind of mostly through audio uh, in my time at Glasgow Cali Uni, and it's really rewarding. Um, I, I can see exactly why you'd want to get into it. What, is it, uh, what was it like talking on the big stage at SteelCon? So, actually, not as terrifying as I thought it was going to be. (laughs) Uh,
1: For those of you who maybe don't follow my public work, uh, you can see all my talks on blog.zsec.uk. It'll be in the show notes. But I have been giving conference talks now for about two years, three years. Uh, And SteelCon 2019 was the first time I was on the main stage for track one. Uh, so I did a talk about the comparison between bug bounty platforms and red teaming and pen testing and how they have a uni- unidirectional mindset. Uh, I have built up a persona, a public persona, and I suppose it is applicable to real life as well, uh, where I am a sweary Scotsman. And I say thing, I say my mind, I say what I think I've been dubbed, after that talk, dubbed the Frankie Boyle of security. Maybe not quite as dark as Frankie Boyle, I'd say maybe Billy Connolly, if, if, if I'm going super, like, amazing. I'm not famous and that's that, that front, but I think I've got a comedic value of some description. My girlfriend would disagree, but hey, she's not in charge. Yeah. <laughs> and she's not here.
0: Because <laughs> this, and this is Dave and
1: Andy's podcast. She might, might be on the show in the future, yeah, who absolutely. knows. absolutely. But going back to the topic of how did it feel, yeah, it was amazing. Um, I spoke to about 300 to 500 people, I think. I really wasn't counting quite quite a big room i thought it was going to be intimidating like I, I speak to a lot of people who are speakers and who have done lots of speaking engagements and they get nervous but going back to the martial arts aspect of things i see every speaking engagement like it's a fight not that i'm going to go up and punch somebody in the audience in the face but it has it has almost happened before but from the sense that you are one with the task at hand the task at hand is To deliver the talk and not shit yourself live on stage. I mean
0: that's always the same way. Yeah, always successful talk when you walk off with like still fresh underwear.
1: Exactly, exactly. It's it's the scary scary experience, but the same way that when you're in a ring or you're on the mats, your objective, whether you like it or not, I mean if you don't like it, you're in the wrong wrong field (laughs) anyway. But your objective is to knock the other person the fuck out, usually. So metaphorically speaking knocking this, knocking the talk the fuck out is delivering it in a way that it re- resonates with the audience so giving the audience if at least 50% of the audience walk away having learnt something or having taken something away that maybe they didn't look at before so different perspective of things then that's a win for mm-hmm. me uh, and as a result of giving the talk I got a lot of feedback afterwards a lot of jokes that I made in the talk maybe split the room you could hear a pin drop but it, just from
0: the yeah yeah, collective... I was in that room at the time. I I, I distinctly remember the sound of silence. Uh, it was uh, something to behold.
1: But also by doing that, it it does it does kind of test the the waters a bit because it by making a certain joke about a certain team, not football team, just a, a way of doing teaming. Go and watch the talk if you're interested. Yeah. Uh, it, it definitely split the room but I watched the recording back and there were a few giggles so I was like well I'm not the only person in this room with a really fucking dark sense of humour so it's fine. It also kept
0: people engaged and, as well uh, which is something that we talked about afterwards while we were reflecting a bit upon that um, it can be quite a dry talk uh, when you're uh, an hour hour and a half in or maybe you've watched it to a single talk or maybe you've already went and seen three or four beforehand and sometimes it can get quite tiring in a hot room with You know, 500 people or more. And, uh, but I think the good thing is about that kind of, even if it is something that's slightly more controversial or um, if it's a joke that makes people gasp a little, uh, at least it brings them back into the present moment and allows them to keep kind of paying attention to what you're saying. Uh, Because, as I say, I was there and I learned a lot myself.
1: Definitely. I mean, the the thing I, I aim to try and do in talks is shop people not from the perspective of make silly jokes and offend people because everyone's fucking offended Mm -hmm. these days, but I try and kind of make an example that if I can deliver a talk, anyone can deliver a talk. It's just sort of getting getting into the mindset of I'm just going to do this talk. I'm up here doing the talk. You're there sitting, listening to me talk. If you think you can do a better job, fucking come up and do it. And I say it, I think I've said it in every talk I've ever done, and people heckle me I shut them down because really realistically if you're going to heckle me you're not you're not buying a keyboard anymore mate you're fucking right in front of me I'll knock you the fuck <laughs> out I won't really but like you're not doing the talk so by shocking people not from the violent perspective because Scotland or Glasgow Glasgow's got a bad name for violence but that's another thing entirely. that's another
0: episode it, maybe a series <laughs> that is a series yes <laughs> Dave but and Andy Glasgow. tackle streets of Glasgow <laughs> 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 I'll be bringing a shield
1: but, I know, I've got a body <laughs> shield. I've got you. Anyway,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> oh no! Uh, the, I can't remember what I was... Uh, yeah, I was originally talking about what, what, why my talks... Why I try and shop people with my talks. I try and shop people with my talks because the persona i built up is... I have my own risk rating for talks. Most of my talks, if not all of them, get rated 18+. plus Because the first talk I delivered on the public stage in the UK was at b Leeds. And the first thing I said was, I'm not going to swear in this talk. It'll be a fucking laugh. And immediately, the whole room went shit. Andy's just start as you mean to go on, so mm-hmm. I did, and and therefore fast forward two years, and now, or I think it's three years, and maybe three, I think it's two two or three years, uh, I'm now known as Andy's talks are 18 plus, and Neil Lines put it perfectly. If you go to one of Andy's talks and get offended, you're a fucking muppet, because it's true. If if you come to my talk. And you don't you don't read the hype beforehand, or you don't read the fact it's eighteen plus, and you get offended. Don't come complain to me. Uh, that's that's your fault for being easily offended for being a fucking snowflake.
0: Alas. Yeah, but that's something that we have taken a talk about before because the the truth is, and certainly from being at the pub and the after parties, like and. Speaking to both people that um, are are, are like higher pen testers and pen testers within the industry, and then people from loads of different areas like software development, like uh, website development. Um, the truth of the matter is like, there's no work environment that's really safe for work Like, sure you maybe have to don a suit sometimes but uh, sometimes just frank conversation as I mentioned before just keeps people engaged um, and certainly I did myself uh, I had a, a really good time listening to your sock and uh, Neil lines as well uh, he put on a fantastic talk at uh, SteelCon um, it was interesting seeing him the kind of before and after because much like yourself he can sometimes get a bit nervous but he absolutely knocked that out of the park um, along with everyone else that I heard at that conference speaking. And and the, the, the thing is, n- none of you are getting paid for this like, either. Like, it's just something worth keeping in mind. Um, obviously, some people might indeed be, but there's a lot of people I was speaking to that they're not doing this for money. Uh, they're doing this for the exact reasons that you mentioned before, which are they're wanting to help people because anything, and I know that we are both believers of this, uh, being goal givers, um, uh, rather yeah. and being able to pay stuff forward because most of us have had someone help us in the past and we're wanting to kind of pass that forward. Uh, so just on to another kind of uh, slight story uh, that we were talking about. Other than some of the rumblings of a brick going on trial for hacking uh, in, in the United States, uh, before we recorded this, I only really started to learn about the story of malware t- tech Uh can you tell me, just so far as you understand, we're not the media here, we're not experts, uh, but so far as you understand the situation, could you explain that a little bit to me uh, and some of the other people that might not know exactly what his story is?
1: Yeah, so essentially uh, Malware Tech, or Marcus Hutchins, as he is, as he was kind of outdrawn from the media, uh, his story, before he even got arrested in the States, he, his face got into the public eye because after the WannaCry attack, in the UK, around uh, about I think it was it was was it 2016? It might be I think yeah it was 2016. No, it must be 2017. 2016 or 2017. Essentially, uh, the shadow brokers who were or also known as the Equation Group, uh, hacked the NHS or something. Not the NHS, sorry. Hacked the NSA uh, and re- leaked a bunch of tools. And in those tools, uh, there were a bunch of exploits. And one of those exploits was called Eternal Blue or MS17-010, which is the the associated Microsoft number. And what that vulnerability, uh, what that exploit did was it exploited the vulnerability in SMB, which is uh, basically the protocol used for sharing things on Windows. You've got shares, you mount them, etc. So that became public knowledge, that exploit became public knowledge. And I don't think we know the source of WannaCry, but essentially WannaCry hijacked that exploit and used it to infect computers with ransomware. Ransomware being a piece of malware that infects computers and demands a ransom to be decrypted. Um, So that got into the NHS, uh, I think it was a Friday actually, happened on a Friday uh, and it affected quite a large percentage of not just the NHS, but the NHS and many businesses around the world. And at the time, uh, Malware Tech uh, was a malware reverse engineer. So Spent his time tracking botnets, so uh, networks of systems that have been hijacked and used for malicious purposes. Uh, spent his time reversing reverse engineering uh, malware and finding ways to how it works and all this sort of stuff. And him and his counterpart, too sick for you, who isn't often in the in the um, public eye. His name is Jamie. Uh, worked for a company that found that took took a sample of WannaCry, and not because of the NHS, but just because they were interested in how it was working took it apart and found essentially the kill switch, kill switch being the callback URL, callback domain that the malware was calling out to. So I don't understand 100% the technical aspect of things, so somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially the malware was calling out that URL and checking if a page exist, existed. If it couldn't reach the URL, it, would, uh, it, it wouldn't it would infect the network. No, sorry, If it, if it couldn't reach the URL, it would infect the network. If it couldn't, it would uh because it was to infect like internal networks mm-hmm. and things but what those two did is they found the domain looked it up and actually found that it wasn't registered so they registered the domain and as a result stopped the malware in its tracks and as a result of that saved the NHS so they didn't they didn't uh stop the machines that had already been encrypted uh, they they were already sort of a goner so to say um, but they did stop the outbreak across the wider NHS network. And as a result, uh, he was hailed a hero for saving the NHS, killing WannaCry as well. Understandably
0: so, as well, um, because oh, the, the damage yeah. that that could have done, and especially with the digitisation of a lot of our logs for the NHS, Like I can only imagine what havoc that could kind have. Of caused if I was uh, able to go further like so uh, basically i think what we've just heard is the story of uh, a, a hacker hero um so w- where is it the story diverges into a slightly darker place into, into a slightly darker place so
1: fast forward to defcon that year uh, defcon is the biggest the, the world's biggest hacking conference that happens in las vegas every year but around about july august time and uh, I I was over at it. Uh, Marcus was over at it, um, and essentially had a great time in Vegas. But on his way home, uh, he got pulled out of the line at TSA, which is the kind of customs, not customs, uh, like security before you get on the plane, and uh, questioned by TSA. So uh, we all got on the plane, and Marcus didn't. Plane plane took off, and uh, it it's it kind of surfaced the next day uh, that. He was under arrest by the US government for uh, accused accused of having a hand in creating a piece of malware called Kronos, which is a piece of a banking trojan 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 um, the piece of software was allegedly sold to someone in California and used for nefarious purposes in America and the feds were uh, essentially uh, they had arrested him because it caused impact uh, to people in the States. And so, therefore, fast forward 18 months, two years, um, Marcus spent his time in in the US. He was under house arrest, as I understand it. So, he had his passport and stuff taken off him. He wasn't allowed to leave the country. Mm. Uh, the, the UK government weren't doing anything to help him. Classic uh, there was UK a government. Crowds- like, yeah, classic UK government. But there was a kind of crowdsourced campaign of, of to get a legal case together. And uh, one of my good friends, uh, Andrew Mabbitt, uh, put together a kind of cr- crowd crowdsourcing the funding to get a legal team together for uh, Marcus because he, he like, well, what do you do when you're in the States all alone? You, you don't really know what to do. You call out your friends and see what they can do for you. So uh, he, he did a fantastic job of that. And as a result, uh, the, the kind of first, I, I don't know if it's a trial or not, I don't know the correct legal terms, but the, basically the first time Marcus was in court, his bail was I want to say $100,000, it might have been slightly less, but essentially by crowdsourcing the funds, they were able to post bail. Oh, that's amazing. And he was, he was allowed allowed out from that perspective. He was still under suspicion of certain counts. Um, but anyway, that that's the kind of rough idea of what happened. Fast forward to Friday just there. Uh, his legal case was finally called up, so two years later. Uh, and the judge, probably one of the most eloquently put together people that I've ever heard. Uh, I didn't hear the case but somebody was live transcripting it uh, and he took all the positives into account that Marcus had done in the past two years. A lot to help a lot of people and also took out the fact that, yes, he is a young guy, he's 24, so he's got a lot of his life ahead of him and the judge saw the good side of things. That, yes, mistakes were made earlier in his life. in Marx's life but in actual fact all the positives has kind of turned a corner a lot of positives were enacted and as a result he's a better person now he's no longer his dark past he's a good guy essentially and uh, as a result was set free he's still I'm understanding still on time serve which I think means that he's still on a probation mm. per se he's not he's not constrained to the US anymore he's free to return back to UK Um and i think he's currently still in the us but i, I don't know what the what the kind of plan is uh, but the the tldr that was given is that he is a free man now he is not going to go to us federal prison uh, for what was can only be described as a fucking awful amount of time. Potentially, it was like up to thirty years or something. Yes, an obscene
0: amount. And <laughs> the, the, certainly, like, there's already enough wasted time here uh, on a person's life, which is two years that you spent having spent to fight this case. Uh, and one of the great things is that there's clearly been a community surrounding him um, that's been looking to help, and that is this exact same community that we've been talking about since the very beginning, like, uh, and expanding out even further. Uh, but. I think uh, there, there seems to be so many redemption stories across the board for people that work within this industry. Uh, people, um, and I, I don't know anything about uh, Marcus Hutchins' story, uh, so this isn't anything to do with him, but I've heard of a lot of people that have came from maybe starting off nefarious purposes with their hacking, a lot of black hat hacking, and then they've changed their stars. They've found a company or even sometimes uh um uh, a country (laughs) that will hire them uh, see them for the skills that they've got and they'll they'll try and filter them into a more um, productive kind of way so I'm really happy to hear that that's the case and certainly it was an interesting story to read about and thanks for explaining that a bit because it's something that I think when you read maybe the 24 hour news cycle like you'll maybe just see his name pop up and like saying that he's some evil hacker and for me uh, I'd like to just say publicly Uh, Thank you very much uh, for uh, preventing the NHS crumbling, uh, Marcus, and uh, I hope you can get back on with your life. Um, so I think we've been recording currently for roughly about uh, seventy-three minutes. Um, so we're talking like an hour and a half. Um, so uh,
1: that's all right. It's going to be an excellent first episode because I guarantee people will listen to it to the end. It's it will happen because it's got. I the certainly right?
0: hope so. True, true.
1: And uh, if you're still if you're still listening. Yeah, well if done, you are still listening, well
0: done. Uh, we're not sure exactly of how much this we're going to edit. Um, can I the no mind of just putting it online because we've actually been pretty well behaved, and I think we've actually I, talked say at so. a reasonable. Slower level. If you disagree, please do let us know. Um, so, uh, what have you coming up? Uh, got coming up over the next uh, next kind of week or so, um, Andy. So next, so a week today, I fly out to mm-hmm. Las Vegas. Uh, I'm going to
1: DEFCON. Oh uh, have yeah. DEFCON. <laughs> oh yeah, DEFCON hacker summer mm-hmm. camp. Uh, so Going to that, uh, and then I'm back, and then I've got basically a couple of days off uh, in August. So I'm kind of A month of chill mm. really I've got a couple of days of work most of it's holiday doing bits yeah, and pieces important. but that, that's, that's me what what are you up to David what uh, well, are you
0: doing? Um, so uh, there isn't much as at uh, the moment for me to say in regards to my story because it is only just beginning and um, we're arguably in the intro uh, but um, what I'm currently doing just now is uh, I've been studying for the last four months uh, for a CCNA Cisco um, vendor qualification um, my original plan uh, after I left my old job um, was to go back Back into education and start focusing more in their career uh, in IT um, so that was before obviously we got back in contact with each other after a, a year or two hiatus of not really having the opportunity to speak to each other and obviously a renewed conversation about hacking. Um, But um, I've slightly changed my direction after a couple of conversations I had uh, down south with a couple of uh, chief technology officers uh, where um, it seems that the OSCP qualification, uh, the you will better remember better than me, what that acronym stands for. Offensive Security Certified oh, thank Professional. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, that's a qualification I'm working for uh, just now to hopefully pass in the next two months. So I've basically got three months to take it from the very beginning to the very end, along with doing my CCNA. So I will be studying, Andy, while you're away and DEF CON and join yourself. Um, so... Gall- gallivanting uh, I'm not sure even though if, uh, is that a word that extends beyond our country almost a minute more likely I'm not really we'll sure to be honest. Uh, enjoy the pallid winged grasshoppers that I hear are oh, flying across yeah, Las Vegas uh, apparently it's been a wetter summer than normal and uh, there's going to be uh, many of those little buddies to uh, fly around uh, and escort you around the city um, so I'm sure that'll be good um, so um, just over the next three episodes, uh, now that we're coming to the end of episode one or at least the pilot, uh, over the next three episodes we plan to discuss uh, in order um, how the industry came about, uh, the current state of the industry and uh, we'll discuss uh, where where we are possibly headed because uh, it's going to be a really interesting future uh, with a lot of changing technologies, AI not to say the least. Um, so um, you're... Definitely, and there's there's some interesting uh, guests
1: that we hope to have on as well, uh, so uh, we won't say too much about them, because we still need to invite them and ask them, uh, so if you are listening to this, uh, and you would like to be on the podcast, let us know, um, we'll, we're taking requests. Uh, yeah, well absolutely,
0: glad. there's a lot of interesting people and wealth of different knowledge and a different path taken, and different experience, and we really plan on bringing a lot of those people on, hopefully. Uh, they'll be of interest uh, to the people that are listening to this. Um, on that basis, uh, thank you very much for the time uh, that anyone that's listened to this and bothered uh, to take time out of their day to do so. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I hope you're going to enjoy joining us on a journey uh, through the world of Infosec. Uh, uh, you were listening to Dave and Andy. We are cast Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Bye. Oh, shit. Did the clap? Bye. Bye.